A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders, past, present, and those emerging. Hit record over here. Yeah, let's do it. Back behind the mic. Back behind the oh mic. God. Does it feel good to be back behind the mic? It does. I've even got questions written down. I'm so professional oh these God, days. okay. When, when we did stuff so ages ago, I wasn't like that. Oh, no. You, like, found some funny shit off the internet. That's right. And, then we, and you read it and we talked about it. <laughs> Pretty much what I do on just the yeah, gist as well. That's right. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Nature or Nurture for this week. I'm lucky enough to be joined by the great comedian, writer, broadcaster, actor, Rosie Waterland. We sat down and had an amazing chat. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Just a little heads up that we do talk about sexual abuse, addiction, and lots of other subjects in there as well. It's an amazing chat, and I really do hope you enjoy it. Go and check out Rosie Waterland and everything she mentions in this. She's got a wonderful book out and a wonderful podcast called Just the Gist. This is my chat with the great Rosie Waterland. Rosie, so the, the way I like to start the podcast is asking a real, real simple question. To a, It sounds like a simple question, but it's mm. not always the most simple question and that mm-hmm. is what do you think was more influential on you nature or nurture i love that you call that a simple question <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds simple sometimes but then it's like no it's not it's well, really not i guess it, if it was simple you wouldn't have a podcast would that's you? right yeah. people would go okay i've got mine bye Done. Yeah. um oh that is really that's hard for me to answer mm. and um And I've thought about it a lot over the years because um, I've often – I had a really difficult childhood, which I've written about, and, um, you know, my parents were mentally ill and drug addicts, alcoholics. We were like – my sisters and I were shipped around in foster care and all that kind of thing. And um, people have asked me, like, you know, do you regret that it happened? Do you wish it had been different? And then I say, well – Sure, yes, but then would I be who I am now if it yeah. was different? Yeah. So I can't – I don't know. Like, um, that's really hard for me to answer. And then there's also the element of, like, my parents both had mental health issues. Yeah. I have mental health issues. But are my mental health issues nature because I'm of my parents or is it because they messed me up? Mm. So is it nurture I can't, who knows? Yeah. Where, where, did, where did the humour come out of, do you think? Like, were you always funny growing up? Yes. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time you made someone laugh? <sighs> it's me and my simple questions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think I do remember the mm. first time, but I just do remember um, my sister was really beautiful. My older sister, Rhiannon, was really beautiful. You describe like, her in the book as Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey, yeah. yeah, she was like she because back in the early nineties, that was just the epitome of beauty class and, and beauty and glamour. Um, and you know, Rhiannon, we literally would get approached on the street by people going, "I work for so and so. Can you know? Has anyone ever talked to you about your daughter modeling?" And I'd be like, "Me?" And they'd be like, "No, the other one." <laughs> so she was really beautiful, and that was sort of her. Um, I felt like I didn't have that currency. Mm. And um, and so I do remember I figured out that I was smart, not that she wasn't, but mm. that I was smart. And so when I did really well in school, I got a lot of admiration the same way she got admiration for being pretty. And also when I was really funny, people really liked that. Like yep. when I – that was sort of my way of going – realising very early on – I don't have the currency of beauty, so I'm going to need something else to show my <laughs> worth. Like, and you know, I, I probably I wouldn't have articulated it like that back then, but mm. I think that's what I was doing. Well, I, you know, I, I uh, 
grew up and, and still have uh, facial palsy. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, because I can't do, you know, <laughs> it's as simple as smiling. Like, you know, that was always different for yeah. me. So I remember finding the joke before anyone else would have the joke mm-hmm. and, and trying to kind of, you know, the smoke and mirrors, trying to trying to distract uh, someone yeah. from, from whatever that was. For you, when, when did you find that you could kind of do that? comedy as as a thing making people laugh and writing in a in a really funny way um I was writing from really early on yeah I liked writing um I liked writing stories I liked storytelling like I did you know theater and stuff as well yeah from really early on we doing um, monologues or were you, you always know, yeah. <laughs> always monologues um you know writing I was obsessed with television and so I you know I've had a tv in my room from since I can remember and I would um like VHS tape things like you know Seinfeld and Roseanne and um Roseanne. Family Matters remember Family Matters yeah. like Full House like all these shows and I would um and then I would watch the VHS back and, like, um, transcribe the <laughs> script, you know. Yep. And so then I started writing my own little TV scripts that I would get Rhiannon to act in and I would act in and I was always the star. And <laughs> even though if we were on television, she obviously would peep it. Um, and so, yeah, I, was, I would do all that kind of stuff um, from really early on. And then um, we moved a lot. Like I went to like 20 schools, I think, altogether. And so I, I was never in any one school long enough to become like that funny girl or that drama girl yeah, sure. or that – I wasn't anywhere long enough to be any person. So, yeah, um, yeah but I – it was certainly something that I always enjoyed and gravitated to. Yeah. For like, sure. did, did adults find you funny? Was there was there any of that as well? Yeah, that was the best. Yeah. Oh, making adults laugh is when you know you've really, like, nailed it. Yeah. Really yeah. nailed it. Um, and especially because my mum's very funny and um, my dad was really funny too. And so um, making them laugh was a big deal. And, um, uh, yeah, um, but also it, it was – I. The nature of my childhood in that I was often shipped to different people, like I always knew, okay, you have to make sure that whatever adult is in the room likes you. Like make sure you are amenable to them and make sure you don't bother them and make sure you do whatever you can to impress them because you never know like – are they going to send me away? Like, am I, because you know, when yeah. you have parents who send you or send you away or abandon you or neglect you, like you do, you just do whatever you can to make sure adults might keep you around. Sure. So there, yeah. there was probably like an element of like desperation there too, I guess. Yeah. 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 For, and, and going to foster homes and everything. So you should, how, how many foster homes were you in? Um, We were in one, so we got shipped to family members who like, so family members fostered us, I guess. Like we were wards of the state from really young and, um, you know, we would spend some time with uh, my biological grandma cause my mum's adopted. Um, so we'd spend some time with her. Then we'd spend some time with our adopted grandparents and then we'd live with this family friend for a while and then my uncle for a while. And we went to one foster home um, for a year. That was an actual foster family mm. Um and we were sexually abused by our foster dad. Um, so after that, I think my family, my extended family really freaked out and tried yeah. to keep it in the family, so to speak. So we would go to different, but none of it ever really lasted. And I've had that question a lot, actually, um, speaking of nature versus nurture, like, we were taken away and returned to my mum so many times, yeah. so many times, because she would get sober and go to rehab and then she'd, like, say, I'm fine, I, I can have the girls back, and they'd send us back and then it would just be a nightmare and the cycle would happen again and again. Mm. And I've had people ask me, do you think it would have been better if you had just been sent away at the start permanently right, and gone to a stable place and um, or, like, do you think it was right to continue giving your mother chances, like to let you stay with your your biological parent? And um, 
I don't know the answer to that because, you know, they sent us to a foster home and look what happened. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, they and you said, don't know what didn't happen. You like, don't know what didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And so I can't – it's really hard for me to answer that question. I'm like, like, Richard Glover has asked me that a couple of times and he said, your answer changes every time. And I yeah. said, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. It depends on what day you catch people on yeah. as well. Like people thinking about their philosophies or what they – what gets them going every day. Yeah. It changes every day. Yeah. For, for you, when you mentioned um, in, in the book as well, well and what you just mentioned before about the sexual abuse yeah in when when you finally told your mum when she asked you about it mm. said that you and uh you and Rhiannon burst into fits of laughter mm-hmm. was that a way of dealing with that I mean the laughter instead of you know dealing with the traumatic events that that happened was, was laughter a way of release for you growing up yes yeah oh my family my sisters and I particularly Rhiannon and I because my younger I have two younger sisters, but they weren't born until like seven and ten years after us. So it was me and Rhiannon together for a while. And we are not um, emotionally earnest people. Yeah. Like even today, my sisters and I show love to each other by going like, nice top, idiot. Like, thanks, bitch. Like, and we're, yeah. and that's how we... That's how you communicate. That's how you talk. Yes. Do you shorthand. We, I can't imagine ever earnestly going up to my sister and putting my arm around her and saying, I really love you and I'm so proud of you. Like, that is just not... Yeah. Like, when I wrote my first book, it would have just been like, you know, well done, nice book, thanks. Like, that, yeah. it's just not how we are. Yeah. And, and we always turn everything into jokes and laughing Mm. um and yeah when we we had spent a year in that foster home and I knew that I had been abused the whole time but Rhiannon and I didn't talk about it so I didn't know she had been I didn't know I didn't really want to talk about it or think about it and um and it was a few months after we'd left and my mum got a phone call from the police saying another girl had accused this man this Mm. foster father of um abusing her and so my mum and they wanted to know if you know, anything had happened to us and my mum sat us down on the couch. One, we were on either side of her and she asked us, did anything inappropriate happen? And Rhiannon and I both leaned forward and looked at each other and, yeah, we just burst out laughing. Yeah. And um, I think it was, you know, a few things because that's how we emotionally deal with things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it was the first moment of like, mutual understanding like oh my god was it it was happening to you it was happening to me too because we hadn't talked about it yeah um and also it's just really uncomfortable when you're a kid and it's like sex stuff or like what you like you just it's like what do you do just laugh I don't know like it yeah but that was um definitely for us um indicative of how we handle difficult stuff yeah yeah, laugh and that that is a way that people yeah. people deal with things. It's like I if you didn't still. laugh, you'll cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't yeah. laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. Oh my god, that's like my motto. <laughs> there's yeah. a, there's a beautiful thing in your book as well. I mean, we've been friends for a long time, and, mm. and looking looking at your book, like I read this before I met you, mm. and I remember having you on my other comedy podcast. Uh, for the first time, and it was one of the funniest episodes ever. Yeah, it was really It was funny. really good. And <laughs> it was really funny to have you on for the first time because I'd read your book and listened to your podcast, which we should talk about as well with your mum. Mm. But the the opening of your book, the dedication, and, and since doing this podcast and starting this podcast, and you're my second mm. guest, I, I just love reading the – the acknowledgement, uh, you know, right at the start there, the dedication. It says, uh, for Ian and Taylor and Isabella, she made each of us and each of us is an incredible woman. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful. Like that and made me tear up reading it. the most earnest thing I've ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it made me tear up reading it because yes. it was so, it's so beautiful. Mm. Like the way that you, the way that you write that is such a touching and beautiful, beautiful mm. thing. I mean, your mum did make all of you yeah. and, and, and you turned out the way that you did and, yeah. and you've all got you know, amazing, you know, what you've done with your lives is incredible. Mm. For for you growing up with your, with your mum, were there, were there good times? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your mum? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what I meant in that dedication. Like the good parts of me do come from her and from yeah. my dad as well. Like my dad was a really talented writer, um, really creative. Um, my mum, is a really creative person, a really funny person. I really, she's um, incredibly infectious and re- gregarious and, like, everybody who meets her loves her, my mum. Yeah. Like, she is, um, 
the kind of the person like the person in a room you gravitate towards to because she's um so funny and and outgoing and larger than life um and you know she's my sisters and I all got good qualities from her for all her faults Mm. with her mental health and her addictions um she wasn't the best mother in the world but um you know she wasn't the worst there were good times and like I said we got taken away and sent back to her and taken away and sent back so many times we always really wanted to go back there's yeah. nowhere else we would rather – we always wanted to be with our mum. What were the reasons, for people that don't know, what were the reasons that you got taken away? Um, so she was a chronic alcoholic, really bad. Um, she uh, – my dad was as well, but they split when I was a baby and then he died when I was eight years old. So it was mainly just us with her um, and whatever man she was with. And yeah. – um, she would just take off. She would yeah. just get drunk and leave. Um, like she would leave the house for days. She would, you know, so my sister would be like, I don't know, seven and I was like whatever and we'd just be looking after ourselves. And then when she had Taylor, um, she would leave us and we'd have to look after a baby. And um, I always pretended like nothing was going on. I was like you know, impress the adults, don't let anyone know anything's wrong. I would get in my uniform and go to school and Rhiannon would be like, oh, she'd have to stay home and do everything like with the baby and stuff. And yeah, she would just take off. Um, But we found out later that um, often she would call docs, that's like community services, she would call them herself and say she wanted them to come and take us, um, which we didn't know at the time. Like, so she just was mentally very unstable and combined with the huge amounts of drinking, um, yeah, wasn't wasn't a particularly attentive parent, to put it mildly. <laughs> with, with, with her, what's your relationship uh, with her now? Oh, it's on and off. Mm. Like... Um, you have to have very strict boundaries with someone like that in your life. Like she, the last few years has gone through, through my whole life, phases where she's been sober for a little while, but she always ends up back where she was. I mean, there have been periods over the last decade where the doctors said to us, she will die this year, like she will die. So we thought like so many times mentally, Rhiannon and I have prepared ourselves that, you know, we're going to lose her soon and then all of a sudden she's like the bionic woman she just kind of bounces back I don't know how she does it and decides she's going to be sober for a little while and then you sort of get that time and then you go through the whole cycle again but um yeah I have to be very strict with my boundaries she's sober right now um when she's drinking I would have rules like don't answer the phone after 5 p.m um don't put up with any abusive text so you know she'll send one abusive text like um, you're a manipulative cunt and I wish I'd never had you and I'll just go, I'm blocking you for 24 hours. <laughs> because It's nice to have a heads up. Like yeah, I would love like, a heads up. Yeah, because you're like, okay, she's very drunk and she's in a belligerent mood, yep. not putting up with it. And then 24 hours later you unblock her and she just acts like nothing happened and you go, okay, let's, so you figure out ways to handle it. Mm. Now when she's sober, you know, it, it it's easier but – um. One of the big things I've learned as an adult, um, when I was a kid, you really simplify things. And to me, and Rhiannon particularly, it was like our mum and our dad would be great if they weren't drinking and if they weren't taking drugs. Um, And you thought that was the problem. So if they're not drinking and if they're not doing any drugs, like, oh, my gosh, it would be amazing. They'd be perfect. And I've come to realise as an adult that – my mum has mental health issues outside of her addictions that um, even when she's sober, she's not an easy person. Yes, yeah. Um, so that was like a bit of an awakening for the periods, the longer periods that she's been sober in my adulthood. I've been like, oh, you actually also kind of suck. <laughs> and it's not, it's not black and yeah, white, is no, it? It's no, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's Nothing not. ever is. Nothing ever is. So, yeah. I mean, I, I've had um, experiences like that. And I know we connected mm. early on about, you know, experiences with, with my own family, but also, you know, with, with a really good friend of mine that had had a, I think it was a 
13% chance of living went into a coma mm. and just started drinking again yeah. after she um, after she came out. And I had those same, you know, those same boundaries in place with mm. her and with my brother as well. I had those same boundaries where I wouldn't answer the phone after a certain amount of time. And it is, it, it seems in your head, you go, it seems kind of cruel. I remember the first time doing it, I kind of mm. felt cruel about putting boundaries in place. Yeah. But as soon as you do it, it, it makes perfect sense and it protects you so much more. Mm. When, when you wrote your, your memoir, Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had a podcast that came out a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your mum's, for people that don't know, what was your mum's initial reaction to the stories <laughs> that you told in the memoir? Okay, so like I said, there were many times we were told she wasn't going to make it. Yep. And when I wrote The Anti-Cool Girl, my um, first book, which was a memoir all about my childhood, um, I didn't think she would ever read it. I was yep. like, she's either not going to make it um, – which was looked likely at that point. Um, you know, this was at the point where I would go to her house and find her just lying in her own urine yep. and poop because she just hasn't been able to get up, belly swollen to a scary point, yeah, like the skin looking yellow. Like I would have to drag her to the shower. Like she was barely functioning. Yeah, And so I thought, even if she is still alive, she does not have the capacity to read a book. Like, she's not going to read this book. Yep. Um, and so that freed me up to just really write what I wanted to say yep. um, about her. Um, and a, to be just honest, um, you know, according to my memories of what happened. Yeah. Um, and then she got sober. <laughs> then the book came out and she was like, I'm sober, and read it. And... Um, and wasn't pleased. Um, but she went back and forth. She'd be like, I'm so proud she wrote a book, but it's all lies. Like she right. said it was all lies. Yeah. That I had, um, you know, in her drunker moments, she'll say things to me like, you know, you lied about everything. You threw me under the bus for your career. And I'm like, mum, it's a book. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not a lucrative career. Trust me. <laughs> um, you know, you threw me under the bus. Like she, yeah, she just insists that a lot of it just absolutely didn't happen. And that really fascinated me um, because at the time, Augustine Burroughs, who has also written a memoir about – a really famous memoir about his childhood and his problematic parents, he was having issues with his mother saying that none of it happened. And I found that so fascinating. And and because I'm just a – what do you call it? Content creator. (laughs) I was like, let's – there's something here with yeah. this. Like, how can we have two completely opposing memories of the same events? Yep. I mean, I can tell you what I think. It's because she was drunk and doesn't want to admit how shitty she was. But yeah. anyway, I was like, let's explore this. And so I um, said, let's do a podcast called Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Like, pretty straightforward. Yeah. And um, each episode is just me reading a chapter of my book. And then we talk about that chapter and you know we like argued a lot and it was pretty tricky to do we could only yeah. do it because she was sober right um what was the experience of actually recording it like, like it was hard to, it to was actually, hard yeah. um because she was staying with me at the time because she had nowhere else to go um so she was staying with me and um and it was it was hard for it was a lot harder for me than I thought it was going to be because I was like oh my god, I've been in therapy for years I'm so evolved like I've handled all of this like yeah. I can take whatever she says yeah. I'm so self aware I get it I'm a broadcaster now right as well. I'm yeah. a broadcaster <laughs> like and then sitting in a room across from someone who um, you know abused you and neglected you and is the reason that you went through so much trauma, having them just sit there and deny it to your face was a lot harder emotionally than I thought it would be. But it was also really hard because it was my podcast and I was technically like hosting it. Like, so I had to, um, there were times when I wanted to just be like, get fucked, but I had to be like, Oh, okay. And so tell me more, mum, about why do you think that? And in my head, I'm just like, you fucking bitch. 
It's going to be a long drive home. You know this is true. Like, yeah, and so then we'd go home and it would just be like really kind of emotional. And um, it, it was smart listener who we did it with, this amazing producer called Jamie Show. Um, he said, let's record them all before we release any. Like, oh, wow, we didn't yeah. want the pressure of having to go week by week. And he was right because there were some points for, where for a few weeks we were like, we need a break. Yep. And we wouldn't. So it took us the better part of a year to yeah, actually sure. record it all. And then we got them all done and then we released it, which I'm glad we did it that way because, um, yeah, it was tough. And then we were going to do – it was so popular, like at one podcast oh, of amazing. the year. Yeah. And it, like, it has been downloaded like 10 million times now. And um, and and so mum got quite a bit of like – fame from it which she likes and yep. um and we were going to go on a tour like a live tour mm-hmm. and then she started drinking again so we had to you had to pull the pin had to pull the pin yeah and, um and that really upsets people because the end of the podcast is quite people are like this is so great like she's not drinking anymore and you guys have this amazing relationship where you yeah. can sit down and talk about this stuff like it all worked out in the end and i'm like oh it all works out in the end Again and again and yeah, again and again yeah. <laughs> because it just – they go back. They go back. Well, I, I made a documentary about a comedian and mm. uh, an alcoholic comedian and, you know, everyone wants that happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone wants that, you know, and I left it very open-ended at mine because I wanted to leave it with a, you know, I'm good for now, you know, yeah. and I think it ends with her saying, you know, I'm for the first time I'm feeling clear, mm. I'm feeling sober, I'm feeling good, um, how can I fuck it up? Yeah. You know, and I, I was like, well, that's the only way that you can. That was the perfect ending, actually. Well, was, for, you yeah. know, for, and I remember you messaging me when you saw that. You know, I sent you an early cut of it because I wanted you to see it. Oh, my God. Know? And I and I just sent you, I watched it and then I just sent probably the longest series of texts I've ever. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, Sam, Sam, oh, my God. Like, just as a child of an alcoholic, very similar to this woman. Yeah, I just, you know, such it. beautiful messages. Yeah. Um, and, and so for you now, like when you, when you talk to your mum now, when you, when you continue that relationship, you yeah. know, is it, is it something that with the boundaries, is there anything else that you need to put in place or is it kind of just the boundaries are kind of the main, the main thing for you? I mean, it's the boundaries. Um, I wish I'd never done the podcast, to be honest. Really? I, yeah, I'm happy for the success of it. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I wish I'd never done it because I got so much um, power from writing my book um, and getting to own my narrative and getting to say, this is what happened to me. This is how I remember it. Yeah. And writing it down was kind of like good for clearing it in my head as well. And um, and then letting my mum do that just kind of jumbled it. And and then I did Australian Story, um, the show on ABC, yep. and that also did not go well. Like speaking of wanting happy endings, those guys. Oh, Australian Story absolutely want a happy ending like, for everything. My mum was drinking while filming yeah. that and they knew. Yeah. And they framed the whole thing like she was sober. Yeah. They worked around her drinking. Like they told me and my sisters in our interviews, just don't men- just don't we don't need to mention that she's yeah. drinking. Like let's let and we we got really upset by that. Like we were like, but that's not the truth. She is. Yeah. Like yeah. um yeah, I did not have a good experience with no. Australian Story, but it, um, they, you know, and so then that was like another example of my narrative being taken from me and and mixed up in a way I didn't want it to be. And um, and so I think the main thing I've learned with my mum is I need to be really strict with um, standing by my narrative and the story I told. And yeah. I get really upset when she tries to um, argue with that or um, deny it or whatever. So it's kind of like I just don't talk with her about it. Yeah. I just don't talk with her about it. Yeah. Because we're never going to agree. I don't – I think the terrible things that happened when I was a kid and the terrible childhood we had and what she put us through is too much for a person to bear. I can understand yep. that in terms of her own guilt and conscience and whatever – I think having to open herself up to truly um, accepting 
what she did. I don't think a person could do that, particularly not her. It would be too much. I've got a friend who uh, is a is an addict and, and comedian and been around for mm. a very long time. And I remember one of my friends saying, you know, I was like, oh, why does he keep lying? Like, why does he keep mm. continually lying about things? And every time he fucks up, he lies some more, he lies some more, he lies some more. And my friend just said, imagine if you woke up one day and just realised everything yeah. that he'd done. And yeah. he put people through and he'd stolen from people and all of this and you go yeah like that would be too to much. wait you can't you just have to press it down because that would be too much to admit to yeah it would with uh like going back going back a bit when you I mean you've had this amazing career and it didn't it didn't start with you talking about these really personal mm. issues it started with you recapping uh, recapping things that you love to watch. Can you tell us the a little bit about the Bachelor? The Bachelor. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how you actually started doing that? Because you were the original person that well, that was recapping recapping these things not in this the really original. funny way. I mean, you were the best at it, and you were the really I'm sure, funny. I'm one sure there. I was the best at it. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll see that. Um, I mean, I originally really liked Ben Pobji did it for MasterChef. He right. recapped MasterChef oh, okay, like right. years ago. Yeah, and I loved his recaps of that. They were so funny. Yeah. Um, and I was working at Mamma Mia. I'd started there just, I started just sending them, um, free, like just like articles to publish. Um, and to be honest, the only reason I started sending it to them is because when I went on a bunch of, when I decided I maybe wanted to start writing professionally like I'd gone to drama school for three years and then did a creative writing degree for three years so is I was that like, where you met Jacob Stanley yes as well? yeah, that's yeah. where I you met Jacob just the gist with yeah. yeah at drama school when we were 18 yeah. um and so I was qualified to be like a waitress like I had no and so I didn't really know what to do and I was like man I'm a good writer what do I do with that and so I went on a bunch of Australian websites to look at how you submitted things and it didn't say anywhere. Like, cause I had studied creative writing, not journalism. I had no, um, uh, like vocational skills sure. in terms of how do you approach an editor? I didn't know anything. Yeah. Like we studied period blood art in my degree, like nothing useful. And, um, and Mama Mia on their editorial, editorial, like contact page had, um, or submissions, email them here. Right. And I was like, oh, so they were the only ones who had an email. <laughs> so I'll send it to yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they started publishing a couple of things and then I got a job as an assistant, an editorial assistant there and I just asked if I could recap The Bachelor, which it was the first season of The Australian Bachelor. No one knew if it was going to work. Yep. It was like, I don't know. Um, who was that with? Who was the first person? Maddie, was it Tim. Maddie or Tim? Right. Tim and Anna. Okay. Um. And at, at first they said no because they were like, no, like you can't just watch TV for your job. Yeah. Like, because I was an editorial assistant, I wasn't like, I didn't have the freedom to just write whatever I wanted yeah. at that point. Also, they were choosing the things that you'd write about. Oh, at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Like, you'd get assigned stories. I was very junior, like, I was like the bottom person in yeah. the company. Um, and, but then I said, well, can I just do it on my own time? Because I think I can make it really funny. And they were yeah. like, sure. So I did it on my own time and they just became really popular to the point where they were like, you can do it in the office now. I was like, hooray. Um, and then they just blew up. Like, How did you do it? Did you take notes while you were watching way. it? And then... Yeah, so um, Channel 10 would send it through early um, the first year, but then they got the shits that um, the recaps were getting just as much attention as the show and we were like apparently cutting into their advertising, like... Yep. <laughs> Which I had no idea about any of that stuff, but um, yeah. So then they got the shits, and they would be really difficult about sending it to me. But um, the first year they would send it to me at about midday, and it airs at eight pm. And so I would watch it, and it would take me about two to three hours to watch it. Right, an hour or an hour long episode, I think it was, because you'd stop, like you'd watch, you'd stop, write joke ideas down. Um, back then, like you know, gifts were big because yeah. um, what was this, like 2013 or – yeah, and so you know, gift, you'd, you'd have gift, gift, yeah. ideas for gifts, take screenshots. Like it was very, um, you know, the the meme of the dude from um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the um, – oh, she was sorry. No, you're right. It was Always Sunny in Philadelphia with like all the stuff on the board and the red string and like yeah. that was kind of me, like, like just some weird – Thing in my brain was able to like connect all these dots and that joke from there and I yeah so it would take me a few hours to do that portion of it and then I would just sit there 
and start at the top of my page of notes and just fill it out all the way down. It would take me a couple hours to write it. Yeah. And that's how I did it. Were you surprised at how popular it was? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It it went nuts. And, I, I mean, it was it was a perfect storm, I think. It was The Bachelor was hugely popular and fresh and new and exciting then in Australian television. Um, recap writing took off just yeah. as a genre, as a form, mm. in a way that it hadn't. Besides Ben Pobji's recaps of MasterChef, I hadn't really seen anyone – recapping as like a consistent thing um and so then a lot of people started doing them for the bachelor and it it it, and it also was like real audience viewing like everyone would watch the bachelor at the same time yeah um everyone would tweet at the same time every it was like quite community felt really community based yeah sure um and so it was just i think a perfect storm of those things just made it for a couple of years like huge and like it got huge for me like my my following became massive you know I got given a car like I got like (laughs) people like sponsors from the show like the person who provides the diamond rings gave me diamond earrings I was getting all this free shit and like people would like see me walking down the street and get excited it was like really bizarre but I also knew it had a shelf life like I was like Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I could feel it even after the, I would say the third year, which I think was um, Lorena, like Dirty Street Pie, the guy who didn't pick anyone in the end. What was he called? Oh, Honey Badger. Oh, no, no, no. He did pick someone, but then he changed, he picked Sam Frost, Blake Garvey. Oh, right, right. And then went with someone and else. And then went with someone yeah. else. Like, yeah, I think that was the peak. Yeah. That year was the peak of it. And, and that was like the third year. And I was like, this doesn't, it's. It's going down. I felt like it's going to start going down now. Like it had been going up and up and then it got there and it was exciting. And I just thought, I'm not going to do this much longer. Like, because I, the joke, you know, the show is formulaic, which is where all the jokes came from. That means the jokes end up, start getting formulaic too. And, um, and so I did it. um, When did I stop doing it? I think 2016 was the last year I, I just felt like that's, I'm done now. Like, yeah. It just there was no more to do with like for me to do to make it fresh and funny, and I'd been also been offered a whole lot of other opportunities that I was more interested in because I never really wanted to be a recap writer as a career, like. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um and and yeah, I sort of bowed out, and I think I did it at just the right time because it really did start kind of yeah. sinking down, and um, the show now is like no one really watches. Yeah, no one cares about it anymore. Yeah. Um. And there are a few people who really stuck with the recaps, like who were doing it then and are still doing it now almost 10 years later. And it's like, no one's really. It's not as engaging. It's not, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It was this really exciting moment that I don't think it was meant to last. Yeah. It's quite a zeitgeisty, fun moment in Australian television that, you know, I'm not sure it could be repeated. Yeah. Well, you got out of it. You did the great comedy thing of leaving on a high instead of yeah. waiting for it to peter out. When did you start live performing and what, what was that experience like? Um, When I was – Bachelor was big, so I had a big following. Mm. Um, and uh, a promoter called Matthew Hardy got in touch with me. Um, he's a comedian as well, Matthew Hardy. Yeah, used to be a, yeah, 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 yeah. He used to be a really comedian good, yeah. and now he's like a promoter. Runs a Yarraville Club. Yarraville Club, and, yeah. yeah. And um, I had an agent by that point because my book had become a bestseller um, and so then agents reached out to me and, and so I had signed with an agent and, yeah, Matthew got in touch and said, have you ever thought of live shows? And I considered myself funny um, I never thought I could be a comedian, yeah. like capital C comedian. I was like, no, I don't, I don't do stand up. Like 
I don't go to little clubs and practice 10 minute sets. Like I could never. And he's like, no, but you're funny. Like, could you? And I said, well, yeah, man, I went to drama school. Like I could easily do it. And he's like, we'll do it. And I said, okay. Um, and so I wrote my, I think my first show was like an hour and 10 minutes. Wow. First time getting up doing a solo show was an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was a lot of stuff from the book. Yeah. Um, but, but still, also that's just, a huge thing to do. Yeah, and I think there was – and it was, a, it was a sellout show and then we did a national sellout tour and I loved it from the first second. Um, and I felt like there was a bit of – I felt a bit of resentment from some people that I had gone from – like I never was – I never felt fully accepted in the comedy community, that's for right. sure, because I had just been like, oh, I write these recaps and then I was like, I've got an hour sellout show and I'm touring and, and – um, I never did the thing of like going to clubs and working on your material and right. working your way up. And I mean, I think my first show was really good. Um, and, you know, I did it at all the comedy festivals and none of the um, like, you know, judges for all the awards and stuff ever came to mind. Sure. Like, I just don't think I was ever considered a comedian. So I just call them one woman shows. I don't call them stand up. Because Why not? It is stand up. I guess, but I don't know. It's like you have to you have to earn the right to be called a stand up. Right. And I I was like, I didn't go I didn't take that traditional route. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I went to drama school, so I'll just call it theatre. It's a one woman show. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. Um Yeah, but that's I started doing them then and then I sort of did a, a tour a, a show a year. Since then, I think, yeah. yeah. What what world do you feel like you fit in? You know, if, if it's not the comedy world, what, where do you kind of feel like you fit in? I don't know. I never feel like I fit in anywhere. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's a great moment in the, the book, and sorry if I cut you no, off. that's though, all right. There's a, there's a great moment in the book where you talk about being in LA and there's all the fancy parties and yeah. everything. And, you know, at one point that you're at a pool and um, – Kylie Minogue singing, then you're having yeah. a drink next to Jeffrey Rush. And yeah. <laughs> then you, uh, you're at a really fancy party and you end up walking out. Can you, can you explain that moment? I just didn't fit in there. Like that was um, early on at Mamma Mia. I think recaps had, I'd done them so people knew who I was and I got sent to LA um, for like a entertainment reporting kind of trip. Like I think it was the G'day USA gala or something and um, they sent me over there to like cover that. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, cover what? What does that mean? Like <laughs> yeah. at one point the people who had sent me over, I can't even remember who it was, got really angry at me and and one of them came up to me and said, why aren't you filing stories every day? And I didn't know what filing meant. I was like, what do you mean? Like I was just going to go, my, my goal was just go get as many funny selfies with as many famous people as you can yep. and then come back and write a story about how sure. great it was. But, like, I, apparently I wasn't doing it properly. I was meant to be filing stories every day. I was like, I don't know. But, um, um, yeah, so they sent me over for that. And I was just so uncomfortable the whole time. I hated it. Yeah. I hated yep. it. I remember my best friend Tony picked me up at Sydney Airport and I burst into tears. I was so relieved to be home. So I was yep. in L.A. for, like, five days or something. And, yeah, there was all these fancy parties and um, red carpets and, and I – I was so uncomfortable. I was like, oh, my God, you're finally here. Like I worked at the movies while I was at drama school on George Street in Sydney where we have all the red carpet premieres. And I was like, you used to be on that side of the red carpet and now you're on the red carpet. Like, whoa. And I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Like I was really uncomfortable. But I'm really uncomfortable everywhere. Like I'm just – I don't know if that's a leftover of being a kid who, you know – never really got ex- like literally never got kept or accepted by any adults like yeah, con- yeah. like I just always feel like oh this isn't gonna work or I'm not wanted here or yeah yeah it's a hard attitude to let go of what are you more comfortable doing do you think in terms of your career like are you are you comfortable writing are you most comfortable by yourself writing are you more comfortable doing the podcast or, or stand-up um I love doing shows yep. I love live shows um, I love the podcast with Jacob. I'm also um, working on a TV show right now. We have a deal with Stan for a show that's based quite a bit around my mother, actually. Um, a narrative? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like a um, 
drama, comedy, I guess. Um, so I really enjoy television writing. Like yeah. I've done quite a, a bit of that um, on different shows the last sort of eight years or whatever. And um, I don't know, I like it all. When people say to me, what do you do for a living? I know, I go, oh, I'm a writer. I don't yeah. like, I, you know, yeah, cause I don't quite feel like I'm a comedian, like I'm allowed to call myself a comedian. And that's also probably all my own insecurities as well. I'm sure any comedian I went up to yeah. at any comedy fest would be like, of course you're one of us, yeah, you idiot. Yeah, yeah, but I'm yeah. like, they don't accept me. They probably do, Rosie. I'm just so neurotic. But, um, yeah, so I don't – yeah, I don't really – and, I, you know, I also act. So, like, you could say actor. And I feel lame saying podcaster to anyone, like, over 40 because right. they're like, oh, yeah, everyone's Fake radio one. show. Yeah, right. And I'm like, no, well, mine's actually quite, like, does quite yeah. – no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so, darling. Like, that's not a real job. So I don't really ever say podcaster, even though that is a bulk of what I do now. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, yeah. Is it hard not feeling like, you know, with the comedy stuff and you doing the live shows, was mm. it hard kind of not feeling like you fitted in the comedy community? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, um, I still don't feel like I do. And I still, even in the TV writing community, I've worked on a bunch of shows and I have like my show that I'm working on now and I still just feel like, I don't know if I am yeah. part of this. And, um, and I mean, I remember being – I got asked to do The Great Debate one year and um, on my team was Phil Wang, who was amazing, and Reese Nicholson. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you meet up a few days before and um, uh, you, like, go over ideas and whatever. And I just felt like, oh, my God, I don't belong here. Like, the whole time I was frozen. Reese, who is – really cool and like but he also just has that um I don't want to say aloofness but he's just so Reese yeah. <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah you know he's so like he's just so and it's so funny that I'm saying this because I have no idea and he might just completely disagree with me but I just feel like he's so sure of himself yeah. and he is just so brilliant and so we were just sitting there and he just came in and was just so like in his element and was so good with all his jokes and was just like bam 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 coming up with stuff and Phil Wang was like you know an international star yeah, and it yeah, was like yeah. oh he's a big deal like, he's become an even bigger deal since then but it was like oh he's a really big deal and and I was just like oh I don't know and we had to send our um you know speech off or whatever to get yeah. approved and um I just didn't I was like god am I just gonna make it total fool of myself and also I was like two weeks out of a stay in a psychiatric hospital and I was like I have to say yes to this to like prove that I'm doing better and I'm fine yep. my mental health doesn't prevent me from getting work done and so like I was like really thrown in the deep in there and um yeah I remember sending the speech off and thinking oh god this could be bad and the only feedback I got was um I'd put the word clit in there a few times because right. I can't even remember something about porn and they wrote back to me and said, oh, you can't, you can't say clit. Right. And I was like, why? And they're like, it's just probably you can't. And I went and found um, a comedian from the year before. I can't remember her name from the US. And she had literally said the word dick like 20 times. Yeah. And I was like, how come she can say the word dick? And I can't say the word clip. Like, yeah. come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sexism there is like not even subtle. Yeah. And then they freaked out and they were like, okay, you can like, you can say clip. Just, I mean, maybe just once. Just, like, yeah, they were like, you can say it, you can say it. And like, so that was the only. <laughs> the only thing you got pulled up yeah, on. Yeah. It wasn't like, this isn't funny, which yeah. I thought they were going to say, like, we're firing you. We, yeah. Like, we've got, I don't know, like, who, like, Tanya Hennessy to fill in like it was just like yeah but they didn't fire me but yeah the clip thing <laughs> really got caught out on that yeah got caught out on that. Oh, i have some um standard questions that i ask mm -hmm. uh, on this on this podcast and so um the first question is what trait in people do you find the most admirable trait in people i find the most admirable um that's a really good question i think People who have a real, um, like what I was saying that I think Reese has, mm. which he may not because I, 
people could say this about me and I'm like, you're crazy. I fucking, I never know what I'm doing. But yeah. people who seem to have a really, um, not just a strong sense of who they are, because I have a strong sense of who I am, but people who are confident in it. Yeah. I've never really felt like what I am is um, I've good enough. Like I've always had major imposter syndrome, big time. Yeah. Um, and it's made me awkward. It's, it's made it quite difficult for me to make friends actually, because I, I struggle to trust that people actually want to hang around with me or like, don't think I'm lame or it's just that constant thing in my head. And there are people who just seem so sure of who they are and proud of it. And, um, there's no question in their mind that they, they walk into a room and they are worthy of being there. Um, I've never felt that. Yeah. Okay. And that is a trait in people. I'm like, man, that is awesome. Yeah. How the self-assuredness. You, yeah, yeah. How do you get there? Yeah. I yeah. don't think I ever will. I it, mean, I don't know, but. Yeah. It's hard to know with people though, if that's just what you see or if that's. Exactly. You know, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, that's what I felt about Reese. I was like, man, he's on it. Like he's, yeah. and he could just be like a withering mess inside. Who knows? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But yeah, that's something that I really admiring people like my friend Jamila Rizvi is um so brilliant at stuff like that like she just never questions that she's allowed to be in a space right. and that she has worth to bring to a space and that she has something to bring to the table I'm always like oh god do I yeah I yeah yeah I, I admire that in people too yeah. whether they're confident that they should be there and yeah. they've got something to say yeah I love that um if you could choose to be born into an environment what would that look like oh <sighs> When I was a kid, I used to say Seventh Heaven because I didn't understand that it was a religious show. And now I'm like, oh, God, no, nightmare <laughs> Not for me, not for me. Um, but I guess on that note, like, just a stable, loving family. Yeah, yeah. In a house that you never have to move out of. Have your own space. and Yeah. yeah. I've never not had to move, like, at least a few times a year, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And so that would be, that would be nice. Yeah. How was it moving to Melbourne? Um, I like it here, but it was hard because yeah. I had, um, I'd been living in Sydney in one house for 10 years, which was the longest I'd ever lived anywhere by a long, 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 long shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, by virtue of me just not wanting to move because I had moved so much in my life, but also because in Sydney, once you have a rental, you're like, you don't give it up. So it was that as well. Yeah. Practical reasons. You're there for but life. Yeah. But, um, and so then I moved to Adelaide to be with my partner and then he got a job in Melbourne. So we moved to Melbourne and it was like two big moves in a short amount of time and losing this security I'd built for myself over a decade. So it was tricky. I didn't yeah. realise how much losing that physical space that had been consistent would be hard. Yeah, yeah. I really like Melbourne though. I really like Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the move was, it It affected me more than I thought it yeah. would. Yeah. It's hard when you feel like you have a space and everything yeah. and then you're, so, like if I moved to Sydney, I think it would be the same thing. Yeah. You know, I feel like I have had that place in Melbourne for so, when I moved to Melbourne, Melbourne was the first place I moved to. Yeah. And so when you move here, you're like, oh, it feels like home now. Yeah. yeah. You've built it for yourself. Yeah. And then to sort of let it go is quite, particularly when that was like my, my worst fear as a kid is like, oh, we go, we're moving again. We're getting yep. shipped off again. Oh, they, she's fucked up again. Oh, yeah. they don't want us. We've got to go somewhere. Like that constant um, feeling like you're never on solid ground. Yeah. And yep. so then the two quick moves in a year sort of brought up a lot of that past trauma, I think. Of course. Which yeah. is like a, the simplest thing. You're just moving house, but it's like, no, it's bringing up a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. lot of things to deal with there. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favourite thing about yourself? God, I just spent the last five minutes basically telling you I hate myself. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. Um, No, look, I will say I'm I'm very funny and I'm a very good writer. I'm a very talented writer. That that is something that I can can confidently say. Would you ever say comedian? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I'd get in trouble from the... The, I don't know who's police. The president this. of comedy. <laughs> I don't see in my mind. This yeah. is how neurotic I am. I'm like, someone's watching, and as soon as you say it, you're busted. Like, I mean, maybe sometimes yeah. I say it just for ease of like explaining. Yeah, what you do. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's something you'd change about yourself? God, like, yeah, probably my low self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah, probably Wanting my low self-esteem. Wanting to feel that more self-assured. Yeah, yeah, I just, I'm not sure I'll ever shake this imposter syndrome and, um, and yeah, it gets in the way sometimes. Although, actually, I'd also love to not have any mental health problems. That'd be sure. nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's another one too. <laughs> uh, who influenced you the most? Hmm. Like career-wise, uh, you can you can take it either way. Um, anyway. Career-wise, or you know, in um, in your social setting. Mm, who influenced me the most? Um, look, probably. Okay, this is this answer will probably surprise people. Um, career-wise, I will say it was Mia Friedman. Right, yeah. 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 Um, From Mamma Mia. Yeah, yep. who was the founder of Mamma Mia, um, which is still going as a website. Like, yeah, yeah. I haven't been there in years. Um, but she is incredibly good at what she does. Yeah. And I learned so much working there for a few years because, um, you know, like I said, I'd just done a creative writing degree. I had no clue about yeah. how to turn that skill and my talent for writing into anything sort of useful. I didn't really understand. And just being there and seeing the way she understands, particularly women, um, but anyone really, she understands what content people want to yeah. consume. She really gets it. Yeah. Um, and she really, like things like headlines and synthesizing information in a way that you're only giving people the best um, of what you can write down, yeah. uh, taking out any fluff. Like um, she really understands how to entertain people and she understands um, – how people want to consume stories and she the, just the gist now my podcast where I Jacob and I tell stories to each other I would not be able to do that if I hadn't learned so much from Mamma Mia yeah. like she was always really like get out of your ego get out of your head what does the person reading this need to see on the page like what information do they need to know like yeah. she was just and and what will you know because this is her job what will sell this story what what will make this story clickable because it was all about clicks yeah of course. like what will get this clicks like and so she really taught me to think about um not just what I want to write myself, but what an audience wants to read. Um, and that's really important yeah. as a content creator to not just be like, this is my brilliance and you shall t receive it or if not, <laughs> fuck you. Like yep. you need to think about what an audience wants. Yeah. And like, is there an audience for it? Yeah. And there's so many people at like listener who I talk to the executive producers who like get to pick what podcasts get made or whatever. They say they get like, so 90% of the pitches they get are from people just saying, me and my friend are really funny. If you just put a microphone between us, we'll just talk yeah. and it will be an amazing podcast. And it's like, no, learning how to create content that entertains people, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. And executing it is hard. And um, I, yeah, I learned that from Mia. Yeah. She's she's the best at it. Yeah. I, I did stand up for a, um, a long time and, and when I was doing stand up, you know, it's always funny the people that would come up and go, I could do this or I've yeah. got a funny person in the office. And it's like, it's not actually that easy. Yeah, it's not. Like, it's not. It's not. not. <laughs> like when people heckle, like at my shows, I don't get bad heckles. I get love heckles. Yeah. Like, love you, Brazil. Yeah. Like, you do, like, I'll say something about dicks and a girl will go like, yeah, girl, you said it. <laughs> and they think they're being helpful, but it's like, I have written this so precisely yep. and timed this so precisely and I know you love jumping in like that but it throws but don't me off. Like, on but my don't lines. yeah you know what I mean like cuz <laughs> yeah. it is they they think you're just getting up and talking but it's like so much yeah. goes into it like a lot of work yeah absolutely work. yeah yeah um who do you choose to surround yourself with and has that changed um no and I think it's never changed and I think it's because I have always gravitated to people that feel like home Yeah. because home has never been a physical place for me. It's never been a physical concept. Mm. It's always like growing up, my sisters were home and then my friends 
sort of became home. Like, so Jacob, who I met at drama school, Tony, who I met at drama school, I've still got friends. All my friends are pretty much from drama school. Um, and then I've got a few friends from Mamma Mia who I'm still really close to. I don't make friends easily um, because I'm very shy and it takes me a while to trust people. But then there's just something that I can't explain. You know when you just click with some people and you're like, yeah, you're my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember when I did that podcast with you and Ree that day yeah. and I had never met either of you. I yeah. barely knew what your podcast was. I think I'd <laughs> yeah. blown you off a few times and like – and I walked away from that going, they're my people. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We get each other. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so people who just really give you a sense of home. Yeah. That's And so I've never really changed who, I, who my people are because I've always gravitated to that. To what makes you feel at home. Yeah. yeah. Which, which means you end up with the good ones. Absolutely. Not a lot, though. Not no. a lot of them. But yeah. the ones that are there are good. Yeah. yeah. I remember my granddad um, once told me when I was growing up, he was like, if you have one true friend in your life, you're really lucky. And right. I was like, you know, when I was like 12, because you have like 50 yeah. friends, you're like, <laughs> sounds like a bit of a loser, grandpa. Yeah. But it is so true, it's isn't so it? True. It's so true. Like I have a few very close friends from drama school. I have my sisters and, you know, yeah. And I'm not great with acquaintances. Yeah. Like my partner, Caleb's really good at that. Like he'll – be like, oh, I'm having lunch with so and so today, and I'm like, oh, how do you know them? He's like, oh, I met them once. Yep. And now, and like, and I'm like, I could never do that. No, like, yeah. I'm not good at acquaintances. I'm like, we're either good friends or we're really not. Yeah. Which probably means like that's why I don't have a lot of friends. But yeah, I think that's great though. Um, what drives you now, and do you still have big ambitions? Oh yeah, my Oscar drives me. Yeah. My Oscar drives yeah, me. Yeah, I love that. I have big ambitions. Yes. Yeah. But um. You know, it's been tough because my mental health has made it, the last couple of years has made it really hard Yeah. to feel like I can get there. And I mean, the topic of this podcast, man, nature versus nurture, I've been so frustrated the last few years that um, I haven't been at the place career-wise I really thought I would be by now mm. because I've been given, offered a lot of opportunities over the last decade that some of them I've had to completely pass up yep. and some of them I've not completed very well because my mental health has gotten in the way. I've had to spend so much time working on my mental health stuff, which is all because of the childhood trauma. And I think like, fuck, if my mom hadn't fucked me up, I wouldn't like, if my parents hadn't been so shit, I wouldn't be dealing with all these mental health issues now. But then it's like, but also you may not be as talented as you are now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I have big ambitions, but it's not gone the way I would have liked. But, you know, I'm still on the prize. Yes. Yeah, I love that. You still yeah. got that there. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you could pinpoint a moment in your life that had the greatest impact on you, what would that be? Oh, Jesus. Um, greatest impact. What would it be? Probably... Um, Probably, probably, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I would say it would have to be going to work at Mamma Mia. Sure. Um, the ver or even the very first article I sent them, I remember the moment I got an email back from Jamila Rizvi saying, we love it, we're going to publish it. And I was like, and I live with my friend Tony and we were like jumping around the living room screaming. Yeah. We were like, oh my God, you're going to be published. And then we went to the pub and got like champagne, which is like a $6 sparkling wine. We were like, this is it. Like you've been published. Like, and I, to me, that was like, that's it. Like yep. how amazing. And that was sort of what kicked off my professional writing career was that one article getting accepted. That one. Yes. That one. Yes. Yes. So I think that would probably have to be it. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I, I like to, I'm, I'm going to start to end the podcast with this question. The same sure. question I asked uh, at the start, mm -hmm. um, nature or nurture do you think that it is impossible for you after all of that to kind of pinpoint what that is <laughs> yeah yeah I mean isn't it for anyone yeah yeah I just you can't you just don't know I don't know I mean I wouldn't like I said I wouldn't I'm not sure I would 
have the talent I do and the skills I do that I'm so grateful for. I'm like, oh my God, for all my parents' faults, their brains together, some of the genes I got made my brain, which is very good at making jokes. Like, that's awesome. But also, they made things really hard and like, I don't know, you can't, how can you pin? Yeah, you can't. You yeah, can't. You can't. <laughs> so podcast series done. <laughs> the end. <laughs> what more to explore? But yeah, I just, I don't think I'll ever know. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and, and taking um, up the time to do it. Uh, how do people find you and um, your wonderful podcast, Just the Dears? Uh, I'm on everywhere, just Rosie Waterland, yep. all the social medias. No one else has that name. Um <laughs> And then Just The Gist is uh, Just The Gist podcast on Instagram and then also just search Just The Gist on all the podcast Yeah, it's very places. popular. Look it up. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's so kind of popular. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little popular. It's doing okay. Thank you, Rosie, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me SamPeterson91 on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast. Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're, they're great producers and I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.